Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. May my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you watch the news, whether it's the local news or the major networks or even the cable news on television, you probably have seen over the last week the extraordinarily long lines of cars. You might have initially thought it was a long line of cars waiting to be for people to be tested uh, for COVID. And that certainly is one of the long lines, but the lines I'm talking about now are the extraordinary, seemingly unending lines of cars with people who are seeking food, food for their families, food for their Thanksgiving. And no doubt, we have always, in the church, collected food to feed the hungry at this time, the holiday season of Thanksgiving and Christmas, and even at other times. But in addition to the struggles we are having the idea that so many people have lost their jobs or their jobs have been cut back, that there are literally hundreds, thousands of people who don't know where their next meal is coming from or certainly not where their Thanksgiving meal is coming from. It is truly, truly heartbreaking to me. It is heartbreaking until I look at the people who are there helping. Hundreds of people giving of their day, giving of their nighttime to pack up food, giving of their time and energy and spirit to take boxes and bags of food and place them in the trunk or back seat of people's cars. It is, in fact, the hope that shines through the despair of these long lives. Hundreds of thousands. And in Texas, it has been an enormous number. I know when we hear the story that we heard today about the sheep and the goats, we hear those lines that say, Cursed are you. You will be thrown into the fire that has been prepared for the evil one and his followers. We hear the line that concludes this story where the one who sits on the throne says to those who were pushed to the side as goats, you didn't care for my people and so you didn't care for me. You will go into eternal darkness while the just one who did care, will go to eternal life. Those lines probably stick out for us more than anything else in the text, right? So where's the good word for us in this parable that we have commonly referred to as the sheep and the goats? Because my preaching professor taught me that 
every text you preach, there is a challenge of the gospel, and there is the grace of the gospel, Reverend Dr. Zan Holmes. And so today we're going to investigate both the challenge and the grace of the gospel that is before us this morning. So I want to remind you we've been over on a journey. This is the third week we have heard parables, right? And in fact, I just learned this for the very first time this week, that Jesus' teachings that take place with these three parables that we've heard over the last few weeks are called the Olivet Discourse. Now, you may wonder about that. What is the Olivet Discourse? Because I wondered about it. I had to look it up. So it turns out that Matthew's gospel is divided into five sections. They're called the five discourses. And the last one is called the Olivet Discourse. And it happens right before Jesus enters uh, Jerusalem and his passion. It's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus taught the disciples at the Mount of Olives. That's a key place in the New Testament. A lot happens there. And and for the Gospel of Matthew, this is an important place. And so that is why it is called the Olivet Discourses. The disciples, you see, at the beginning of this teaching time that Jesus has with them, come privately to Jesus with questions about the, what, the, what we call the end times. And for them, the end time was when the temple would be destroyed. Because can you imagine their whole lives centered around the temple in Jerusalem? And so they're asking a question, not about the end times as we think about it, but about the end times that will come when their temple is destroyed. And they also say, well, what's going to be the sign? What should we look for? That you, Jesus, the rabbi of Nazareth, are the long-awaited one. And the third question they ask is, when is the end coming? Now, Jesus doesn't really answer any of these questions, but instead teaches with parables. These are also questions that are being raised by the writer of the gospel according to Matthew. You see, it is speculated by, and not really speculated, but really believed by most biblical scholars that the Gospel of Matthew was being spoken of and written down during the time of the destruction of the temple, which was the year 70 AD. And so this is at the forefront of the followers of Jesus in the time of the writing of the Gospel of Matthew. So I want to take just a moment and remind you about the other two parables that precede this one. The first one we did a couple of weeks ago, and it it is often called the parable of the wise and foolish maidens. Well, we sort of come into the 21st century here, so we call it the wise and foolish wedding attendants. And that parable concludes with these words, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. The, the character, the bridegroom in the parable is saying to the wedding attendants who didn't have enough oil and have, had to go off to get it and came back and missed the party, says, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake. That seems pretty harsh punishment, doesn't it? For just failing to have enough oil and coming late to the banquet. And then um, 
the parable last week was the story of the talents. You know, there are three servants, and the owner, the landlord, the boss, comes and says, I'm going on a trip, so here, you take ten talents, and you take two talents, and you take one talent. Right? And this, and two of the, two of the servants raise more money, and one servant puts it in a hole in the ground and keeps it safe and then returns to the owner what was rightfully his. And that parable ends with these words. Now take this worthless servant and throw him out into the farthest darkness where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. Again, pretty harsh punishment for someone who took good care of a year's worth of income and kept it safe and returned it to the owner to whom it rightly belonged. And then today, we get this parable. There are two groups, the sheep and the goats. And, and I want to tell you that this parable talks about the future now, in the time of Jesus and the time of Matthew, and the future that is to come. Now, the, there is the concern of the destruction of the temple, and how does that end time for the people of Israel? And the future question is, when will the actual end of the age come? And, and this parable ends with the statement, they will go off into eternal punishment and the just ones will go off to eternal life. Wow. Some pretty hard words coming from Jesus and his teaching. Now, I want you to remember some other things. This is a parable. And I want you to remember, as we've talked about before, at its core, parables are meant to awaken, to challenge, to shock, to surprise, using exaggerated language and descriptions to awaken us. In this particular parable, we have what I call the sheep and goats conundrum. And, and let me say something about sheep and goats. Because most of us really don't know much about sheep and goats, let's be honest. I mean, we just don't, unless it's over a dinner table, right? So, let me remind you that sheep are not generally smart. They tend to be meek. They are quiet. They blindly follow the herd. Whichever way the herd's going, they follow. Um, sheep are not led by someone like the shepherd, but have to be driven from behind. Come on, let's go. Let's get going. And the other part about sheep is they are easily spooked, and because they tend to be um, put upon by predators, their way of dealing with their fear is to run away. Now, doesn't that make you kind of wonder about this parable? I mean, the sheep are on the right hand of God, or the right hand of the, of the king, and the goats are on the left. The good news about sheep is that they can recognize their owner's voice, the shepherd. Now, goats, on the other hand, are considered intelligent and independent. They can be taught their name and to come when they're called. And they're naturally curious and social. And the goats are on the left side. And this left and right thing plays right into our culture, doesn't it? 
There are people on the right, and there are people on the left, right? Well, I'm not going to go there. I, I don't have time for that. Perhaps we should also consider the opening phrase of this parable. It says, at the appointed time, the promised one will come in glory. You know, this is responding to the disciples' initial question. When is the end of time coming? When are you going to do? When is God going to be present? It still does not tell us the time and place, but it says that at the end, at the appointed time, the promised one will come in glory. All three of these parables seem to speak to the now, the in-between, and the future of the coming of the promised one. Now, this is This is interesting. The people who formed the lectionary, which are the assigned readings for each Sunday, put this scripture in Matthew on the last Sunday of the year that has to do with the coming of the promised one. And what are we doing next week? It will be the first Sunday of Advent, and we will begin this waiting anticipation of the coming birth of the promised one. Isn't this fascinating how these are put in juxtaposition? And in fact... Dolores Williams, who is a womanist, black woman theologian, said that the kingship of Christ can only be understood through the dissonance and harmony of singing King of Kings on the one hand and poor little Mary's boy on the other. These two songs, each song needs the other for truth to shine through. Can you imagine that we can sing King of kings, Lord of lords. But we also need to pair that with poor little Mary's boy. Finally, and the final thing I want you to notice, and this is so, so important to this parable, is that neither the sheep nor the goats have a clue what they've done or not done. Both groups say to the king, when did we see you? Or thirsty? When did we see you naked? When did we see you in prison? Both groups. The sheep aren't any smarter than the goats. And the goats aren't any smarter than the sheep. And so the challenges ring so true for us today. The challenges of this gospel, as we read this text, um, we tend to believe that this is a parable about being good or being bad, being right or being wrong, being just or being unjust. This is how we hear this parable today in our culture, and I dare say that this left and right language reminds us that we do this all the time. We separate people into groups. And I also want to say that if we are given the chance to choose what we're going to be, we're all going to choose to be sheep, right? Because we want the eternal life blessing, not the eternal curse blessing. And, And so we tend to think of ourselves as on the good side, the right side, the best side. You know, there's a whole group of people that believe that we don't have to care for the earth well 
because Jesus is coming and the apocalypse of Jesus returns means we don't need to care. Of course, that's a completely different understanding of, of the word apocalypse, which actually really means to unveil. Because of our contemporary postmodern United States culture and the rise of evangelical Christians, emphasis has also been put on salvation as what happens after death. The sweet by and by. And that that's all that matters. And so we're left with a mess. When in actuality, the focus of salvation in Jesus' day and in Matthew's day was that salvation had to do with the here and now. Salvation had to do with caring for God's realm, God's creation. Salvation had to do with caring for God's people. Salvation had to do with bringing the marginalized back into community, with caring for the oppressed and the poor. This is what salvation meant. It meant here and now, and if I can live that kind of life, then I will be saved. In addition, because of this parable, we tend to think of salvation as something we earn. Now, I will assure you that the Reformation tried to put this aside, but we still hang on to this idea that if we're good enough, if we work hard enough, if we live as the sheep, then we will gain our salvation, or at the very least, the blessing of God. And you know what that's called in Protestant language? Works righteousness. It means that we still tend to believe that the things we do will gain heaven for us and gain God's blessing for us. But remember, neither the sheep nor the goats know what they have done or left undone. So, what is the grace contained within this parable? What was Jesus trying to teach the disciples and so teach us? If parables are designed to awaken and challenge and shock and surprise, and in some ways to turn the existing narrative upside down, what are we to know from this teaching? Might it be? Could it be? That this lesson was being taught to the disciples as a here and now teaching. And that is what we miss. What if, what if salvation is about here and now? How does that change how we read and hear this gospel? If one of the greatest challenges we face today in our country and in our world is separating each other into groups, and if this separating and grouping and labeling each other is the foundation of our global and national and local problems, think Think for me, if you will, Democrats and Republicans. Think, if you will, rich and poor, white and people of color, powerful and weak. And I could go on and on and on in the, in, in the separations. Then what is it we need to learn from this parable? What is the new thing Jesus is teaching us? What could it be? I wonder if the great teaching of this parable is the one we miss. The followers of Jesus in the first century church understood salvation as having to do with the here and now. It had to do with living a life in safety. It meant having plenty to eat and plenty with which to care for those you love. It meant living a life free of oppression and fear, and it meant for those who had been marginalized by religious and governmental authorities 
that they were welcomed back into community, then doesn't it follow that the sheep will, due to their generous hearts and lives, live safely in the world? Then doesn't it mean that the goats will only be able to look upon what is happening and truly live empty, cast-out lives? And if that's the case, then, then they have the ability to join the generous people. And then doesn't it stand to reason that all of us, every last one of us, have the opportunity to live generous lives and inherit the blessings of God and inherit the realm of heaven and earth? Could it be, might it be, that our salvation is already bestowed upon us and it is just incumbent upon us to simply accept it and step into it and live into it. And if we did that, might the whole realm of God and the reign of Christ come upon the earth? I've often said that we live in the richest country in the world, and if we were just generous, every last child in our country would never go to bed hungry. Bernard of Clairvaux, who was a 12th century abbot and theologian, wrote eloquently of the three advents. Advent meaning coming. The advent at Christmas, the advent at the end of the age, and a middle advent, which is the everyday presence of Jesus. This week's parable combines the latter two. It is about the last advent, certainly, in the parabolic language. But the king reveals a daily mysterious presence in the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the impoverished, the sick, and the prisoner. And we, you and I, get to discover this holy presence every day, right here, right now, in the people we come in contact with. Interestingly, as with the parable and the sheep, as with the parable and the sheep, nor the goats knowing of this presence, it would seem that Jesus the Christ has come to us incognito. I mean, we don't even know that Jesus is standing right before us when we look into the eyes of someone who is hungry. And in fact, Jesus comes to us in all kinds of people, the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely. Moreover, get this, with all the separating we do, it's the trans people. It is the people who are non-binary who have taught us a new lesson about how to look at others and not see just difference, not see a right way and a wrong way to be in the world. And Jesus comes incognito into the world as an innocent, vulnerable, poor child born to a teenage brown, unwed mother and a poor carpenter. A child who will, with his parents, become a refugee to Egypt. A child grown to a man who will die with a promise to return to us and be with us through the Holy Spirit. This is salvation, that by the grace of God and the work of Jesus, who has become our Christ, all are in. Every last one of us are in. Beloved of God, blessed of God, and contained within our very souls the life and person of God. And I don't know you about you, but I'm pretty grateful. 
And I'm going to sing the psalm, God is good, God's steadfast love endures forever, and God's faithfulness to all generations. Even now, a distant, isolating Thanksgiving day, a pandemic, an economic crisis, a potential constitutional crisis. Even now, this pandemic and economic crisis is teaching us something. Even now, we are learning what it is to care for the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely. We are learning what it is to not separate people into these divisions and hold them there. And we are seeing it in the outpouring of people who are bringing food and medical care and so much more to those who need it so much. Even now, Christ comes to us again and again. And the reign of Christ prevails. And we, well, we, lucky us, to be grateful to be a part of it. Thanks be to God. Amen.